Well, hello again, friends. Uh, this is Brad, and we're back today with the One Link Podcast, and I am working today with my man, James. How's it going, James? It's going good. I'm in need of caffeine today. Yeah, I, I saw that you were uh, brewing up some some coffee for yourself, so hopefully that'll... Uh, you need some energy to talk about our topic today, because we are going back to our guy, Hudson Taylor, right? That's right. That's right. And you know, Brad, he is an absolute favorite of mine, and even... Going back, I don't know how many times I've read through his book, but even going back through it today, or you know, like in prep for this, just so many good treasures there. I, if you have not read the Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor, you definitely need to do it. Yesterday, uh, I did an interview, uh, Tyler and I did with the legendary Bob Anderson, and he referenced it as being like one of those key things that really began to get his own heart praying and stirring for the nations, and caused him to to start start praying for china mm-hmm. yeah i think he he mentioned to me at one point he would rereads it every year really or many many years something like that so there you go yeah it, it would not it would not be a waste i think by the time if i did that by the time i was done the whole book would be highlighted because i definitely run into some more things this time that i like it's like i think i saw him and maybe noticed him before but now 20 ish years later there's some things that i recognize the importance that I kind of in in terms of missiology that I missed at the time missed in my initial reading uh, before I'd ever been overseas. Yeah. Well, James, be- before we jump in here, let me let me kind of do a pre a pre recorded question here, a pre narrative question. I can see so in, in talking about you and I, obviously, are big fans of Hudson Taylor and other others in missions history here, and so we are. You know, we're obviously not unaware that they have flaws and things like that, but we're trying to show them as faithful people. I wonder if there are some in our audience that might feel like, "Hey, why are we sort of idolizing these? You know, these people? All the glory to God. Why? Why? Um, why make such a big deal about people like Hudson Taylor? Isn't this, you know, running kind of contrary to the spirit of giving God the glory? What, what would you say to that? I think that's a really good question. I think. I think, isn't it Paul that writes that says we're to like emulate their faith? And Mm -hmm. so I feel like I have this phrase from the Bible, but I couldn't tell you where it is right now. Uh, But you could look at like the the list of people in uh, Hebrews 11 listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith, some of which in there have like huge flaws like Jephthah, and yet they're listed in there. And I think they're listed, you know, to spur on our faith. And I think that's why... I love the story of Hudson Taylor. He was certainly a flawed, sinful human being in desperate need of the gospel. But his life and the way he lived out his faith and the way he knew God, like really challenges, challenged and challenges my faith and asks me, am I, am I going to commit that way? Am I going to commit to the same level? And I think that's true with with all these all these people that we listen to and we learn from their life and some we learn from their mistakes and some we learn from the the good things God does with them. Yeah, I think you know, sorry James, I, I already uh, you, we were talking about how it's going to be hard to keep this one short and I'm already <laughs> getting us off on this topic, but I think you're right there is biblical precedent of learning from faithful people even as we know that they're not perfect and and we know that ultimately we're aiming towards the Lord as our example. But I think also it's it's a kind of mentorship and discipleship in a mm. way, I think, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously uh, were not alive to meet Hudson Taylor in person, but he can mentor us in some areas. We can learn from the good and the bad of his life, but I think particularly from the faith that he had. So, yeah, I think that's just the wanting to have that vision before the two of us and our audience of mm-hmm. let's learn from faithful people and let's, uh, you know, they're learn from their mistakes and learn from their faith. And I, I think mm-hmm. we can benefit greatly from that for our own lives. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. my, my kickoff to this, this episode of Hudson Taylor. Well, as we kick off this episode, I was thinking back and I kind of, I wish I had thought about this on our first episode, but I was just thinking about like, why did we spend so much time on his preparation? Like, why did that get an episode all by itself? And you could tie it into one link as well. Like, why do we spend so much time preparing our students? You know, and I looked this up because I thought this was a great analogy. Like how much time do you think Usain Bolt has spent actually running in the Olympics? You know, the greatest sprinter in, I don't know if ever or in our time for certain, Google tells me that he has only spent 325 seconds of actual running time in the Olympics. You know, but how much, how much time did he prepare to get there? You know, and and while Hudson Taylor spent more time in China than he did preparing, that preparation, I think, is so key. And and a lot of that motivated me as well. And I think it ties into why we why we think it's worth the time to come to team leader training, to do our online lessons, to go through O week. You know, couldn't that time be better sent, better spent overseas? Couldn't we add one extra week to their trip and get more bang for their buck? You know, and the answer, I think the answer for us is clearly no, like the preparation is worth it and important, helps you run your race. Yeah, I think it goes back to that idea of you can't give away what you don't have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so as we're preparing students, both in spiritually in their faith, but even some of the skills we're helping them develop, we're we're helping them build things within them that they can give away. And so I Mm -hmm. think it is worth it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. So where we last left Hudson Taylor, his health was failing. Uh, he was getting ready to go back to England. He, you know, he longs to be in China and he can see, you know, there's work happening at the hospital. He can see like all this opportunity for work. And so while he'd like a hundred missionaries there, he finds that, that he's getting to where he can barely do the, the tasks of one. And so they, they sail back to uh, London. I like, they say it was it was a good voyage. It wasn't longer than four months. <laughs> so yeah, different, whole doggy. different era, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little different area. Era. Uh, he had been in China for only six and a half years. Uh, he had a wife. He had one kid. And for him, in a way, he he didn't know if he'd ever see China again. If his health would ever be good enough to do that. So he gets back to to England, and he really uses his his time wisely here uh it's at the time here when he sails but sails back hits london i don't think he had any idea that he was going to form the china inland mission that was not in his plan uh he knew more he knew more workers were needed and he really like he never stops working for china he's speaking he's talking he's sort of recruiting he's writing things he does a uh one of the things that kind of consoles him is he he works on a hymn book in the local dialect. I think I don't remember if it's the Ningbo or Shanghai dialect, but he's working in this this different thing. And they're working on he and a, a couple of other people are working on a translation of the New Testament just using Romanized characters or pinyin as we would say it. 
And the, the reason they're doing that is they want it to be more accessible. Uh, somebody can learn to read that. A Chinese person can learn to read that much quicker than they can actually learn the characters. So they work on that. They actually find it to be really arduous. They have a guy who's who's a, a scholar in both Greek and in Chinese. So it seemed like everything should be great, but it's just this this hard, hard task. Four and a half years passes during this time. They said that that this was one of his, like if you think of all the times Hudson Taylor lacked financial provision and some of the hardships, that this period was actually the hardest. It was the, their most uh, meager ends of meager extremities. They are getting some, mis- I think they have some people that are kind of with them overseas. And so they're getting some money in, but he's, from what we can tell, he's sending all of that overseas. He's not using any of it personally. And then there's this this birth of an organization. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to our earlier discussion about learning from faithfulness, this is an area that I think particularly, boy, could we really learn from this this kind of pioneering spirit. Because mm-hmm. as you said, I don't think he set out to in the beginning to start any kind of organization or even had the interior of China on his mind, but he saw the need. And even though I'm sure it was terrifying, he, he went for it. He decided, Hey, Mm -hmm. let's, let's start this organization that can go into the interior. Let's let, Mm -hmm. you know, he could have had very meaningful ministry in Shanghai, Ningbo, some of these places on the coast that had, they were more established There plenty of people that needed the gospel there, but he had this pioneering spirit that I think, Sometimes in our day and age, it's it's hard to find people who, who want to take these kind of mm-hmm. risks. We become very a bit risk averse. You know, mm-hmm. we we swim in waters that are just very safety and you know comfort oriented. And so, putting himself out there, trusting God. I mean, this thing could have flopped financially. It could have flopped. Nobody would have joined him. There was mm-hmm. lots of risk involved, but he put himself out there and trusted the Lord and incredible impact from it. So I just think that's a, a great witness of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the I think we see people who have that entrepreneurial spirit, but we don't see very many of them that combine it with humility. And mm. I think that's one of the key things here. And yeah, I think the the needs of China were kept before him. At that point in time when he's kind of comes back, as far as he can figure out, there were like about a hundred missionaries in China from any European sent place you know at the same time he knows that there's about a million chinese people a month dying without christ and so he is wrestling with this idea and it's kind of interesting to see like he's trusted god so far right he's he's learned to like i i believe god will provide for me but he has all this as he's thinking about forming this he's really wrestling and he's wrestling with this deal of like how can i ask somebody else to go and suffer this way how can i ask somebody else to rely just on god what if what if god doesn't come through what if they blame me what if they think i'm going to provide their support you know and all these all these answers and questions and he he finds himself struggling and and finally he comes to this this realization that like if god is calling them then god will provide for them and so once it kind of forms in his head and he and he decides okay i'm in he starts praying and what he starts praying for so in 1860, the, the treaties change, and now the inland, in theory, the inland is opened up for foreigners can go in inland in China and, and have residence in there. Practically speaking, nobody does. And so what Hudson begins praying for, there were 11 unoccupied provinces. So he's praying for two people for each of those. And you'll like this, Brad. 
He's praying for two for Chinese Tartary and Tibet, two for each of those. And I had to look up. I was like, okay, what is Chinese Tartary? Because I knew the Mongols were called Tartars. So Chinese Tartary would be the Manchurian area, Mongolian area, and the Uyghur area. And so basically, if you took a modern map of China and you took all of the top as it goes up and up in the north, down kind of through the middle and up in the up in the west, all of that, he, they, we need two people. I'm going to pray for two people for this yeah. huge, massive area. And so once he once this settles in his mind, he moves forward, which is really awesome. He starts starts the whole ministry with like 10 pounds, which I I tried to do some rough Googling would be worth like $2,000 today. All right, I got my mission agency. Here's two grand. And so he he begins preparing. He begins he begins recruiting. He begins praying for people. And it, it's a hard recruitment. Let's just talk a minute about money. Like what's Hudson Taylor for, famous for in your mind in regards to Bunny? Yeah, I mean it's the the trusting God to provide it. He, you know, like you said, he went to the bank and and had ten pounds and slapped it down and said, "So set up an account for this new organization." And he, you know, much like George Mueller or some of these others that we hear about, he trusted that God would provide. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's a incredible example. But then he was calling people to do the same thing, yeah. and. That's that had to be kind of a vulnerable moment. It's sort of like when I'm going to hire people at One Link. It's like, hey, you want to come work for One Link, and I can't pay you a salary, so you're gonna have to trust the Lord to bring some money for you. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's it's sometimes a tough sell. Yeah, it is a tough sell, and I think you know we have a lot of connections with the Southern Baptists, and so you know the IMB they provide for their people. They don't have to go out and and raise support. It's in terms of of mission agencies, it's a it's a good one to work for in that regard. But I think how many people that if if either the IMB turns them down for various reasons, but they feel a call to missions, how many continue to go, and how many we won't know the number. How many people, when it comes down to where it's like, okay, I'm actually going to have to trust God for my finances, they back off and it becomes something they they refuse to do. And and it's a hard a hard thing. It was something when. I joined one link, you know, that my wife and I had to pray through and we had been, we had been overseas with the IMB and we've been overseas, not with the IMB. So we knew some of that, of what that was like to live on, on a little bit more on faith, but it was something, you know, we had to weigh that again. Do we want, do we, are we willing to enter into that again? And I think, I think it's good. I really, I'm really encouraged and challenged by Hudson Taylor stuff there. And, and, just some things that he does, like one, he's not going to go into debt for any reason. There's this other quote in here. It says, we might indeed have had guaranteed fund if we had wished it, but we felt it was unneeded and would do harm. Money wrongly placed and money given from wrong motives are both to be greatly dreaded. So we're like everyone, everyone raising support, every book that you read almost about raising support, you know, it's about like go out, you know, set some appointments, ask some people, go speak at some churches, get your funds raised, like all this. They're doing like the opposite of that. So basically while everyone else is out like raising, asking, like they actually made it a kind of a prerequisite, like we will not ask for funds. And they I think what I like about Hudson Taylor so much is I feel like he knows God in a way I want to know him. He knows God in, as a father. He knows that he'll provide. And he has some great stories about one time he was speaking at a church 
and he told them ahead of time, like, we're not going to take up an offering. Like, that's not how we're going to do this. And at the end, this guy that, you know, his, is his host stands up and is like, listen, I know that, that you asked not to take an offering, but I really feel the spirit moving. And I know that if we took one up, I, I know I would like to give, and I know others would. So, you know, we're going to take an offering. And Hudson is like, no, no, no. Like, I'm sorry, I would rather you feel this burden in your heart because God might want more from you than just an offering tonight. And so he refuses the funds. He lets them, he lets this burden sit. And the next morning, his host comes down and he's like, you know what? You were right. I was, I was troubled all night long. And where yesterday I was planning to put a five pound note in the plate and he hands him a check for 500 pounds. So it works out. It works out well for him, but he's willing again. He's willing to trust God. Mm -hmm. The other thing that come out of this, as they begin forming the China Inland Mission you know, if you remember all his experiences were like his mission agencies, like not sending money, not, you know, he's like, we're not going to, we're not going to let, basically the, the control of the organization needs to be from the person on the field. And he says this, he says, Hudson acted somewhat like a general on active duty with his forces in the field. He had simply learned from painful experience how much a missionary may have to suffer in the work to end the work to be hampered if not imperiled by being under the control of those who, however well-intentioned, have no firsthand knowledge of its conditions and, moreover, are at the other side of the world. So part of the DNA of, of the China Inland Mission was that the control was going to come from the field. The man, the man on the field in the heat of battle got to make the calls. And so he, he gets some faithful people. There's a guy named Mr. Berger that agrees to work the, work this, the sending end, but he's going to be on charge in the field. There's a lot more. I'd really encourage you to read the book, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor. A lot, a lot of great things. Jumping on, uh, so they they get it formed and they start recruiting and they and they sail back to China. And I think, don't you? T I think there was 18ish people in their party. You want to mm -hmm. tell that story, Brad? Yeah, I think it's what a picture of being faithful right where you are yet still keeping that pioneering spirit. I mean, obviously you have these 18 that are going to reach the interior of China, but as we said earlier, they've got several months on a boat, you know, where they could have just been kind of twiddling their thumbs or even studying language, things that would have been good use of time, but they still see themselves as wherever God's got them, they're going to be faithful to share the gospel. And so they get on this British ship and they've got this, you know, really uh, crusty, crude crew of British sailors that are there on the ship. And they begin to feel like, you know, these here's our mission field on the ship right here. We've got men, I think predominantly men, who were who needed the gospel. And so they started to pray for them. They they would hold these prayer meetings. And it was kind of interesting. You know, at first the the crew kind of complained that they had to, you know, have these pretentious missionaries on board and you know these goody two shoes and all that but they started having these prayer meetings and sometimes they would notice like hey that guy seems to always be working on the you know his tying his knots or whatever he's doing right over by the prayer meeting every time we're here he <laughs> seems to find a reason to come over and and work a little bit and then you know as time went by they noticed some of them were sitting in the back of the, these meetings and you know they just be began to have this impact on the sailors well, it kind of came to a head. There was a huge storm. Uh, I think maybe they were out in the Indian Ocean somewhere. But I mean, in those days, you know, the storms were a big deal. This wasn't the era of luxury cruise liners or anything. 
So they were, I mean, you know, lives on the line. This is really dangerous storm. And there was some point where the way that the, the sails and the rigging was kind of slamming against the boat, it was going to cause it to sink or, you know, to, to put them in a real dangerous position. And so all the crew of the ship, they were all hiding kind of inside in this cabin and the captain couldn't get them to go out and, you know, undo this rigging so it wouldn't destroy the ship. And finally, the the China Inland Mission guys, they sent out several of their people I and mean, risked their lives because they could have just been swept overboard very easily and all did all the that needed mm-hmm. to be done to save the ship. And I think that was kind of the final moment that really won over this crew of these guys are they're not just these pansies, you know, they they're they're faithful men and women. And, uh, you know, according to the biography that I read by the end of the the trip, by the time they reached Shanghai, you know, m- most of the crew had committed their lives to Christ. So what an amazing, amazing story of just being right where God's got you. Yeah, absolutely. He, you know, they land in Shanghai. It's just such a different world. You know, like you think we, we go on a short-term trip or we send a team or, you know, my first short-term trip. I don't know how many, 15, 20 people, something like that. You go and you get in your hotel and like there was no, there were not really hotels at that time. It was hard to rent houses, you know, and so it's just a lot of faith, even to like find a place to get off the ship and settle your stuff. And of course, God provides for them, takes care of them. They begin setting up, up shop and begin, begin going inland. We're just going to hit a couple of high points, high points from here. I feel like, like if you're going to follow God, there is going to be suffering. And a couple of the moments of suffering that I don't hold them dearest, but they they touch me the most, I suppose. Uh, one, like he buried several children over there. The first one being this sweet daughter of his, I believe she was about seven. And they bury her. She had a sweet spirit. She loved the Lord. She She wanted her dad to be out sharing with people. And there's this quote. I don't, I feel like it must be a quote from something else. But anyway, it says, who plucked this flower, said the gardener. The master answered his fellow workman, and the gardener held his peace. You know, and that we we suffer, we lose. They buried a child there, and he buried his wife there. And she... Yeah, I, was, I was saying earlier to you, you know, when I was a young man, I read these biographies. It, it was something different. You know, I was kind of, wow, that, you know, that's too bad. That, that's That's sad. But once you... Have a have kids, these things take on a whole other meaning of what you lay down mm-hmm. uh, to to faithfully serve the Lord, and so it's such a challenge to me. I mean, when you're a parent, you, uh, maybe you, maybe you would agree with this, James. Your greatest fear in the world is something happening to your kids. I mean, that becomes, yeah. I mean, almost you have to be careful; it doesn't become an idol, but mm-hmm. that's no small thing. Yeah, very true. I think when I came back. I, my oldest was one when we went over and when I came back, you know, I had three kids with me and I thought I was just a protective father. But actually when I came back, I really realized that I had become paranoid uh, about that. And I like, and I'm still working on that, <laughs> but like so many different things that, that you don't understand how people will react. And some of that was a lack of faith. I wasn't trusting God the way I, I should, I think when we first got there, we were maybe a little bit naive and not quite as careful as we should be. And then by the end, I was like way overprotective. I'm still struggling with that. 
but Hudson was willing to lay those things down. His wife dies. Uh, he recommits himself to the work. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going home, which, you know, who would blame him? You know, I got these kids. Can't continue this way. Yeah. I think this is an area we, we, you know, I'll hear people speak of missions history and it's almost like kind of anything back in the 19th century that could be a bit dismissive of it. Like, well, they were all, you know, sitting in their missions compounds and they're, you know, colluding with the colonialist governments and so on and so forth we, we we can we can dismiss that but we can't hold a candle we can't even get mm-hmm. close to the amount of faithful suffering and willingness to to sacrifice for the gospel that they had mm-hmm. uh, and as we know that that stereotype is not accurate i mean hudson taylor is a great example of someone who breaks all those stereotypes so i mm-hmm. think again i mean it's, it's challenging to us but we've got to We've got to learn. We've got to, you know, break free from some of the idolatry of comfort and and safety that we've made. For sure, they had, you know, as they went inland, they were kind of the first people to do it. No one else was going inland, and so people were surprised. People were, they dealt with a lot of issues. Everything from, from thinking, you know, that that they, I think they, there was a rumor that you know foreigners eat babies, you know, just like all kinds of crazy stereotypes, crazy things. They definitely, I remember one story where their their compound is being attacked and Hudson has to sneak out and go find the Mandarin, who's the local guy in charge and ask him. And it's because some rumor had spread through town that, you know, they were killing babies or, I mean, like some crazy stuff. Like, who is this? Why? Who would think we did this? How would anyone believe this? But there was a mob. Eventually he convinces the Mandarin to come and send his soldiers to stop it. But the Mandarin's also a little bit like, oh, I mean, if you guys wouldn't do those things, you know, you wouldn't be attacked. You know, if you quit eating the babies. Yeah. Be- and probably another uh, thing to learn is that you're going to be misunderstood if you go out. Mm. You know, I think some of it had to do with because of the communion, maybe combined with they would often, they, there was, you know, instances of missionaries helping orphan children and mm-hmm. kind of taking in people and then so they have this, you know, communion, which involves blood. And I think it just all, you know, in the, in this confused understanding, there's, there's something to do with the yeah, other sacrificing kids or eating kids and just, you're going to be misunderstood. So if you're, if you go out and you're expecting everybody to be like, wow, James is great. And this right. message is, is wonderful and everything's good. You got to be ready, be ready for some persecution. For sure. And the enemies, you know, the enemy's always at work trying to make what we do misunderstood. Mm-hmm. As Hudson Taylor and the organization grow, uh, you know, they begin moving farther inland. Uh, we'll study some of the other people that they sent going in. We'll hit some of their lives up as as we go. They had they had other hardships. But I if you look at the if you look at the faith of Hudson Taylor over the course of his life, you know, I know that we talked earlier before we started, there was a period of time where they asked for 200 missionaries to come out. And then eventually they asked for a thousand. And I don't know if that was a, that may have been a thousand with every organization. I'm, I don't know that it was just China Inland Mission. But, you know, if you think back when there was only like a hundred that he could count, figure out there's a hundred people there for this vast unknown space. And then finally they get all these people coming. And how many of those people, if you think about the the faith journey that god led hudson on like first it was learning to trust god for himself and then i'm sure when he got married he you know that up to the level now i've got to i've got to have faith for the family now i've got to have faith that god's going to provide for this group of 18 
Now I've got to have faith that God's going to provide for this group of 200 missionaries that come that are spread all across China. I don't even know how the logistics worked back then. That have been crazy. And eventually hundreds, if not a thousands of people. And God continues to be faithful. And I think we see a lasting impact. Sometimes you'll still hear about churches that trace their their history back to the China Inland Mission being started by it. Yeah, absolutely. And in his time, you know, again, it's a picture of you don't have lots and lots of stories of Hudson Taylor shows up, preaches, you know, thousands of people come to faith. I mean, you do have fruitful stories and I might, yeah, I mm-hmm. might need to lean on you. There, there's some that are kind of bouncing around in my mind of some of the, the faithful men and women that he led to the Lord. But you see that there was a lot of just mundane kind of small investments, small moments of faith, small mm-hmm. impact that bring them all together. And we've got this huge legacy, this huge impact. But at any moment, maybe even in any year, if you put it all together, you think, ah, you know, nothing too big happened in here. Mm-hmm. But just once God got a hold of that faithfulness, he, you see lots of fruit from it yeah. that carried on. Yeah, for sure. And I think some of the big stories in his life is how much he learned to use use and trust native native missionaries, native locals that have become believers that go out as evangelists. There was definitely a perception among a number of of people at that time, and maybe for the next, I don't know how long in mission history, till the 80s, 90s, somewhere in there, a thought of like, you know, these people just don't know enough. Like I have to teach them. I have to teach them. I have to teach them. And he really saw that value early of like, wow, these people can be so used of God. They can be filled with the spirit the same way I am. And he empowered a lot of them and uh, allowed them to go and go and be sent out. Are we going to wrap this one up, James? You, uh, yeah, we got to wrap this up. This is our moment up. here. That's right. <laughs> Bring it all to it. a close. So yeah. he leads He leads the organization somewhere in about 1902. Uh, they go through the Boxer Rebellion. Um, they had people killed, killed in it. They also, I read a story of a man that miraculously escaped with his wife and, and family through this crazy hardship travels. They made it through that. Uh, they continued to, continued in the work. Uh, in 1905, he made his last trip back to China, and fittingly in his life, he passed away in China and was buried uh, with some local missionaries and some local Chinese people that counted it a great honor to be able to bury this man that had come and had brought so many with him and had brought the gospel to so many people in inland China that did not have access to it. And we'll we'll get to t- carry some of those stories if you could emulate Hudson in only one area, Brad, what would that be? Well, I, I mean, I think that's easy for me. It's it's the faith element. I mean, I, I have begun praying. Well, I realized maybe three or four years ago, I started to look at my life and I saw that as, well, I have, this is an area I really need to grow in, is having greater faith. I operate often with a, with a view of whatever whatever I do is what's going to happen. And <laughs> and I think there's, you know, again, we have to be careful. I think some of these support raising discussions and whatnot, I, I really believe in the idea of, you know, full faith and full effort, putting both together that we, we give effort and, and we fully trust God at the same time. We're putting, we have to hold on to both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, the, the faith element is where I've been praying 
that God would help grow me to to uh, develop in this area. So, how about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. Maybe maybe the simplicity combined with it, but the faith always like, am I am I going to trust God when things seem tight? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust God for other people? And you know, that's something uh, you share a little bit with Hudson. You know, for myself, I'm I'm mainly responsible for my support. Uh, you're responsible for the support of an organization. You know, and while like Hudson, everyone that works for you can't look for you like like Brad isn't full of money that he's just gonna gonna provide everything out. But you have to have the faith, the same that God's gonna provide for all of our all of our people. I need to have the faith that God will provide for all of my team that I direct. And so God God guides us in gradual. Gradual paths. Um, I feel like he's always my history with him is he's always been faithful that at least in my life, he often starts me out gently. He doesn't drop me in the deep end like John Wayne throwing you in the throwing you in the lake. Starts me off in the shallows. And when I learn to swim a little bit, then he pushes me a little deeper. And sometimes he takes my floaties away before I think I'm ready. But he's always he's always there and he's always got me. And I hope I can hope I can have that kind of faith. I'd like to have yeah. that same Amen. entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if that's the right word, but that same take action. Mm-hmm. Always be working for the for the gospel. I think that was another thing I was impressed by, convicted by how, like on his on his version of stateside assignment, like he's he's burning the clock up. This guy who's like health is failing, and he's translating the New Testament and redoing it and writing a hymn book and holding prayer meetings and he, he never he never lost that vision for China. And I think for me, I, I got so many things that I can get distracted by, you know, a new hobby, a new business idea, a new side hustle, a new you name it. Keeping focused on the long term goals that we have of of mm-hmm. being an impact in the nations. I think that yeah, there's lots of distractions. I, I I'm with you. I, I think risk aversion is a part of my struggle as well like i I don't want especially once you become a father Father. and Mm -hmm. now here i am i'm leading an organization it just feels like oh i don't want to risk any of this good stuff uh Mm -hmm. that i've got here (laughs) so i don't think that's that's how hudson taylor viewed it so no lots to learn and i'm I'm really looking forward to hearing some of the legacy uh you you know you and i have talked about some of these men and women that went out uh, after him and with China Inland Mission. So that'll be fun to explore in the coming episodes. Yeah, it really was. There's some great stories out there. There's some great stories out there that we'll never know. Uh, but the ones that thankfully have someone wrote a story about, uh, we'll get to explore some of those and see how God worked and used them and uh, hope and pray that he uses us in the same way. I was chatting with a college student the other day and I was question I ask him basically is like, what's the thing you could do this week that would be most beneficial in the kingdom of God? Mm. You know, and I think we have to take that in the context of this year. What's the most effective thing I can do in the kingdom of God? And sometimes that means maybe this week I have to do something a little different because of the bigger picture of this year, but then not just my year, but my life, like in the, in the course of my life, how can I make my life count most in the kingdom of God? I think Hudson Taylor did a great job of that. His, you know, and his legacy lives on to encourage us and challenge us to grow in our faith and our knowledge of God. Well, that's where we'll pick up from next time. So good to have you all on the One Link Podcast. And James, look forward to 
talking this through a little bit more and getting some more episodes out here. Sounds good. We'll see you guys. See you next time. Bye.